Amen. Thank you, teenagers. Appreciate that so very much. You're ministering throughout the service tonight, and uh, appreciate your willingness to do so and using the gifts that God has given you. Thank you for that. Grab your Bibles, Revelation chapter number three, as we'll refine ourselves first. Revelation chapter number three. And uh, children, we have the box of goodies and candy up here. And so after the service, you come up and see us. Be ready to either answer a question, take some notes. And to bring those up with you, that would be great. All right, our, our, our goal, our uh, plan is the next two or three Sundays to, to wrap this up in our consideration of the rapture, at least, and then move on from there. And so we trust to do that. And Wild Game Dinner coming up, our special speaker. So we'd like to finish up by then. I trust we will. Um, tonight, we're going to look at the New Testament, some more passages within the New Testament that support the doctrine of the uh, uh, pre-trib rapture as we've come to study. When we do move on, and uh, in those days ahead, as we move on to the next things that follow the rapture and such, we, we obviously will look at the tribulation, and many of you know it's referred to as the 70th week, and often the 70th week of Daniel, because it is uh, found in, uh, primarily or initially, in his prophetical book. And so it's often called the 70th week of Daniel, and uh, that describes the, the tribulation. Okay? Now, there are several New Testament scriptures. Some we've already looked at. Others we'll look at tonight, and at least one next week, I believe. Um, we'll look at some New Testament scriptures that within them, they present to us or extend to Christ's church the promise of the removal before the 70th week that the church will be removed from it. And so that's really where our focus in even tonight. So we're going to look at this passage, Revelation chapter number 3, where we've been before, we used it, uh, just kind of glanced over it, kind of used it as a springboard in a sense. Uh, we briefly considered it, used it as a springboard for another proof or evidence passage there uh, of that uh, rapture occurring before the tribulation. But now we want to kind of delve into it. Let's look into Revelation chapter number 3, particularly verses 10 and 11. Let's look there again. Let's read verse 10 to start with. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Okay? First of all, you look back in verse number 7. We find out this is a promise, a letter written to the church at Philadelphia. Okay? And uh, as we understand, as we see all of these letters in the first three chapters or so of Revelation, um, we understand that this letter to the church at Philadelphia foreshadows a future period or age of the church just as each of these letters do. And so that's a whole nother study. When we get to Revelation sometime, we'll, we'll talk about these letters and how they are a foreshadowing of different eras, ages of the church. And Christ has a different message for each time of the church or each age of the church, okay? That's true of this. And so as we understand that this letter is written to Philadelphia, we also understand that it's extended to all churches bearing the true witness of Christ, the allegiance to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to him down through the ages. Now, there's two words I draw your attention to. They are the words temptation and to try. Temptation and to try. Now, these words, we've uh, studied even this past Wednesday night as we jumped into Hebrews, but the word temptation and to try, they come from a Greek word that means to try or to put on trial, to reveal one's character, a test to mete out then the judgment accordingly, okay? So as we read here, as the verse in verse number 10 speaks of, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them. He's speaking of an upcoming trial. He's speaking of a time where character will be revealed, and yea, faith in Christ will be revealed and, and dealt with accordingly, in lack thereof. 
um, uh, the judgment meted out, if we might describe it as such. That great trial, who will it come upon? It will come upon the whole earth, okay? This is going to be part of the tribulation, that 70th week of Daniel that we talked about a moment ago. I, I like the description here, or I think uh, the fact is it's very, it provides clarity. Look at verse 10, which shall come upon who? All the world. It's not going to be localized to a continent. It's not going to be localized to, to, to one place or another, a hemisphere, you name it. That's not the case. It's going to happen around and through the entirety of the world. This is a worldwide trial. And uh, that will come uh, and fall upon the earth. And uh, there's a poignant use of the Greek here in this passage. And this, to me, really concretes our doctrine of the pre-trib rapture because of what John writes here. You see, John was led of the Holy Spirit, as all the authors of the Scripture are. He used the word here, terero, uh, or tereo, for the word keep. You see it there in verse number 10. He, Christ is promising, I also will keep the tereo is the word used here. According to Greek scholars, we find out that this word, when it is joined with the preposition en, E-N-N, it means this, to cause one to preserve or stand firm in a thing. So we'd have the word tereo, and we use the word the preposition along with it, en, and you see that following it when it says here, verse number 10, it says, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. If he were to use the word and, the preposition, the Greek word, that would indicate that he's saying, I'm going to preserve you in the midst of it, in the thing. You will be there. Now, if you take that same verb, toreo, and you use it with the preposition, the Greek preposition, ek, E-K, okay? Not like uk, but ek, all right? And, uh, or not like ik, okay? It's ek, all right? And when you combine that with toreo, here's what it means. By guarding to cause one to escape in safety, note it, out of. So when you have this word occurring, toreo, which is the verb, and you have this preposition, the Greek preposition, ek, occurring with it, what you get is a different meaning than if you had toreo, en, okay, in the original language, the Greek language here. You see, what we can derive and what we understand the reality is, I like that last couple words there, out of. Can you guess what is used here in the passage? Well, tereo is joined with the preposition ek, indicating the church is promised to be removed from the testing, not preserved through it, uh, not in the midst of it. In other words, it's not just saying God's going to protect us through the tribulation, but rather he will remove us out of the midst of it. It is an exemption from, not a protection within. And let's understand, let's remind ourselves when John wrote this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it emphasizes that you and I will be delivered from this trial to come rather than deliverance through it. And I don't know about you, but that sure does make all the difference in the world for me, amen? I'm glad we're not going to face the tribulation. I'm, not, I'm glad that this verse is not saying I'm going to protect you through it, okay? You're going to have to face it. You're going to have to endure it, but I'm going to protect you in the midst of it. I'm glad for that. I'm glad that he's saying, no, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you from it, take you out of it, okay? So number one, what we derive from this passage of Revelation chapter 23 is this. John wrote of the church being removed from, not protected in the midst of the 70th week or the tribulation, okay? So John makes a point here. Yay, the Holy Spirit makes a point. Christ, as we see, is speaking here. He makes that point. Now look at verse number 10. Again, I think this is important for us to know. 
Okay? I think this is the point of the verse too. Another, um, uh, another doctrinal um, um, uh, important point made, if we could put it that way. Look at verse 10. Notice what it says we will be kept from. Notice it. Look at verse 10. He will keep us, or I will keep thee also, uh, note it, from the hour of temptation. Notice what it doesn't say. It does not say I'm going to keep you from the exact moment of the temptation. I'm not going to keep you from the exact minute of the trial. I'm not going to keep you just from the trial. No, John is led of the Spirit to record that the church will be kept from, saved out of, the entire hour or period of time of the temptation. That's quite interesting. Because as we read the verse and we break it apart, we understand that John's saying, or God is saying, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to take you out of, not just the trial that is a part of that period of time, but I'm going to take you out of the entirety of that period of time. Okay? So as a church, we're being promised that we're going to be delivered from the whole period of time in which the trial occurs, the hour of the trial, not just the trial as it happens uh, during or within that period of time. Again, we noted that uh, a few weeks ago, the church is mentioned 19 times in these first few chapters of Revelation. Then as we get past these chapters here, the church is not mentioned once until we come to Revelation chapter 19 or so. Again, an entirety of a period of time, what we would call the tribulation, what we would call uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel, is presented to us in the book of Revelation, and the church is not mentioned one iota, one time. It is completely absent from that entire period of time. Again, that is coherent and cohesive with what we read here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 10. That God has promised you and I, I'm not going to just keep you from the trial. I'm going to keep you from the whole period of time. And I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful as we get into it, we're going to study how you and I are going to be busy with many other things. Amen? That's going to be an enjoyable time up in heaven, the marriage supper of the land, the judgment seat of Christ, those things that will transpire for you and I as the church during this time. You see, it's important as we again look at the, the verse as we understand that the church is gone during the whole period of time, that John was led to write, again, going back to the Greek a little bit, he, he's led to write ektes horas, or oras. And that is literally from the hour. I will keep thee, when? From the hour. He was not led to write, which would have been just as easy to write. In fact, if it was true, it would have been better to write this. In te ora. Okay, what is that? That simply means in the hour. I will keep thee in the hour. While you are in the hour, I will keep you. I will protect you while you're there, okay? Um, there are times, and I, I think of my children when there's been a dog around, okay? Sometimes uh, when we were entering in a fence or going into somebody's house and there's a dog there, um, I would keep them out of the house. I wouldn't let them go into the fence or the house. I would protect them from the danger, there's other times that as a dog came along, guess what? I turned into a tree and my child climbed me, right? And they ended up in my arms, okay? And that way the dog couldn't get near him or anything like that, right? So that was within the midst. Was the dog still there? Yes, the dog was around. The, 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 the danger, if you want to describe it as such, was still around. And I was just protecting them while in that area environment. John could have easily. In fact, the Holy Spirit could have led John to write to us if we are protected in the midst of it in te ora. But he didn't write that. He wrote, as led by the Holy Spirit, ectes oras, meaning that I will keep thee from the hour. I'm going to protect you from it, take you out of it, and that escape, if we might put it that way. And 
one of the things we talked about at the beginning of our study. You remember? One of the foundations for what you and I uh, uh, believe about the Bible and glean from the Bible is that we believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture. We believe that uh, every part of the Bible is inspired, is God-breathed, that holy men and women of old, they wrote exactly what the Holy Spirit told them to write verbatim, word for word, as he gave them. Every little aspect of God's uh, word and the original manuscripts are inspired by God. The use of the smallest preposition has purpose and meaning for us today. Has promise attached to it and uh, important truths for us to glean from it. And so we thus see from John chapter or Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 here, John wrote of the church being delivered from the entire period of time in which the trial of the world will take place. That is the rapture occurring before the entirety of the tribulation begins. Here's what's crucial. As we get into the tribulation, we'll study it. Most of us here know it. Three and a half years seem pretty okay. There's times of peace. They will cry peace and safety. There will be a description at the beginning of the tribulation like this. These are the best years on the globe known as the earth. That's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to come in on a platform of peace for everybody, benefits for everybody. Everything's hunky-dory in this world at the beginning of the tribulation. That's what he promises. This is how he brokers peace. But, oh boy, does that turn upside down. Amen? And the reality is, the fact is, as we see that, we're going to be saved from the entirety of the the tribulation, the entire period of time, not just the trial when when God unloads what, uh, shall we say, unloads his judgment and wrath upon the world. So understand that we're going to promise to be delivered from the entire period of time, that's just the trial that comes in the world. And I'd have you notice a couple other things from the passage that are uh, crucial for our belief and our trust in the doctrine of the pre-trib rap. Uh, look at verse number 10 again. He states clearly who's going to go through the trial. Look at it with me, if you will. Who's going to go through the trial? It's those that he describes that are dwelling upon the earth at that time. There's a distinction made in this verse, right? Those who are not, we can obviously deduct, those who are not on earth will not face the trial. So it lends credence to the fact of the rapture removing the church from the earth. Only the unbelieving dwellers of the earth will face the trial, not Christ's church. There's a distinction made on purpose. He's saying, listen, I'm going I'm to keep you from that hour. And what's going to befall the earth, the whole earth, will befall those who are dwelling on the earth. In other words, he's making a distinction saying, There's, you're not going to be dwelling on the earth at that time. You're not going to be here as the church of Jesus Christ. You're going to be somewhere else other than that. Now, we certainly understand as we get into tribulation, we'll, we know that there are those who are saved after the rapture. Sadly, they're going to have to face great persecution. In fact, as we get into Revelation, we'll see. Many of them face martyrdom for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ during the the time of the the, the beast and the Antichrist and such. Um, But the church as a whole will have been removed from that. Now look at verse number 11. I like what he adds here. Christ in his letter through John, he records this. Behold, I come quickly. So he's made the promise, he's given the, uh, the teaching, all right, I'm going to keep you from that time. Now, behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. We will see similar things as we already have concerning the rapture, the imminency of the rapture throughout our study tonight. 
but it's crucial for us to see every one of these passages that speak of it. Christ is speaking, right? Your words are in red. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it tells us that Christ is the one giving this letter. He's speaking to the church, and his return is presented to the church at Philadelphia and to everyone reading it as an imminent event. He says, I come quickly. I come quickly. There's nothing standing in the way. There's nothing prevented. In fact, the word literally means I'm coming without delay. Nothing's going to stop me from coming. Again, if the trial that he speaks of in verse 10 were to be the first thing that happens, would he have written, I come quickly? If there was something that was to occur before he returns, before he comes to gather us unto himself, would he write, behold, I come quickly? Well, certainly not. That would not have been logical to put that in this order. He says, listen, I'm going to keep you from the trial that comes. I'm going to protect you as this trial falls upon the dwellers of earth and uh, this comes upon them, this terrible trial, I'm going to keep you. Then the next statement is what? I come quickly. I come quickly. The next thing you need to worry about, church, is the return of Jesus Christ. I come quickly. I find it also interesting. He not only would not have said, I come quickly, he would have said, okay, the trial's coming up, so you need to be prepared. You know what else he says? Notice the rest of verse 11. You know what he tells them? He doesn't say, be prepared, be ready. How many of you remember Y2K? How many of you remember Y2K? Okay. All right, those who just woke up. How many of you remember Y2K? Good, amen. A few more of us. Okay, good. Y2K, right? You remember preparing? I, boy, I remember that. People say you need to have food put away, you need to do this, you need to do this to your computer, and so forth. I worked at a church afterwards. I worked at a church a couple of years after Y2K, and I remember just kind of finding my way about the buildings, learning about the place, and I walk up in their gym. They had a building to the side of the gym, and on the outside of the door, you know what it said? Y2K supplies. This was like two years after Y2K. They had put a room up there. They had put food and everything else and other kinds of supplies up in that room. And I, do you remember getting prepared for Y2K? Well, I tell you what, you know, I don't know about you, but it's smart to get prepared if you think something's coming, amen? You think something ter- terrible or horrendous is going to happen. I, you think of a hurricane and so forth. We've all seen pictures of, of people boarding up their houses and, and things like that. And, and we, we, we know of uh, grocery, <laughs> grocery stores and supermarkets when people threaten snow. Amen. And uh, down at uh, Tennessee there, they had uh, where, where Reagan is. In fact, where some of my family is in Tennessee, they had like five or six inches. Can I tell you what that kind of snow does to Tennessee? It shuts them down. For weeks on end. Okay, they canceled school for like three or four days for five or six inches of snow. How about that, right? College even. But uh, you prepare, right? We've seen it even around here. They start talking about 10, 15, 20 inches. Boy, people start taking out the grocery store, amen? You're fighting for milk and water and everything else, right? We get prepared. Now, let me ask you this. If the next thing on the prophetical timeline of God is a great trial that God says, I'm going to protect you through it, but you're going to go through it. Don't you think that instead of focusing upon rewards and crowns, Christ would have said, hey, why don't you get ready for this? Let me encourage you. Let, let me encourage you. This is going to be a tough time, but you need to be ready. You need to be steadfast. You, you, you need to be ready to suffer persecution and everything else that's going along this round. That's not what he says. He says two things. Behold, I come quickly. The trial doesn't. And number two, don't let any man influence you to take away your crowns. It's not about the trial. It's not about you and I being steadfast and ready for this terrible time that's going to come across the entirety of the earth. That's not what he says. He says, listen, you be ready because I don't want anybody to influence you that takes away your crown. You know what those two things talk about? Listen, do not miss it. I come quickly, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 
Don't let anybody take your crown, the judgment seat of Christ. Two things in the prophetical calendar for you and I as the church, the reality of what we're going to face next, Jesus Christ speaks of in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. It's not about, oh, be careful, be ready. You're going to go through a difficult time here on earth. I'm going, to, I'm going to unload my wrath, and you're going to have to go through it. I'm going to protect you in the midst of it, but you're going to go through it. That's not what he prepares them for. That's not the message that we have for us here. The focus is not the imminent trial or preparation for the horrors it will bring. You know what it is? Anticipation is for the imminent return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to take us away and the crowns and the rewards that await the faithful. I mean, he's talking about, hey, be ready. Don't let people take away your crowns that you're going to cast back at Jesus' feet. If we're going to have to go through the tribulation before that, man, it would have been time better spent preparing you and I for that. That's not what he says. He's preparing you and I for what comes next. I come quickly, and then that which follows that, and the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and those kinds of things. You see, if a pre-tribulational rapture were not being spoken of here, the whole thrust and emphasis of the passage would be completely different. Number three, we derive and deduce from this the third point, letter C. John wrote of the church anticipating the imminent return of Christ for his church, not the trial of the world, along with the anticipation of rewards, not the judgment, destruction, and punishment that comes with the trial. He builds up an anticipation. The thrust of the passage is clear. It's a powerful passage. In fact, I told you before, it's probably the stalwart passage upon which the doctrine of the pre-trib rapture is based. But there's many others. Let's turn to one, if you will. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Second Thessalonians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. I keep saying 2nd. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Turn with me there. We spent quite a bit of time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And... Uh, uh, also, again, another one of those stalwart passages that uh, supports the doctrine of the pre-trib rapture. But we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'd have you read verse number 9 with me. He makes a statement following up on the, 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 um, that chapter 4. He says this in verse number uh, 9, really as he's bringing the chapter to a close. He says this, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? We want to be careful not to contextually take it out of context. We want to be careful that we understand in context of the letter that Paul is writing what he's speaking of. Well, remember the chapter that it's coming after chapter 4. What does chapter 4 deal with? Well, chapter 4 in much of this book deals with extensively the coming of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. We spent a few weeks looking at that passage. Now, this passage then just briefly speaks about what comes after that, and verse number two kind of tells us, okay? He goes back to kind of speaking of it as a whole. We talked about this before, all of Christ's second coming, the rapture, the coming down to earth, the battle of Armageddon, the establishment of the millennial kingdom. He kind of puts it all together. He uses a term in verse two to describe, and then tells us he's basically focusing on what comes after the rapture. Look at verse number two. How does he describe it? What does he call it as? He calls it the day of the lord the day of the lord you see that in verse number uh, two there he's reminding the church at thessalonica remember what they were the believers were worried weren't they they were fearful the rapture had already happened somebody had gotten in somebody had stirred up things and convinced them that they had missed the rapture and now they were worried they had risked the rapture missed the rapture excuse me not risked the rapture uh, they they had missed the rapture and uh, uh, they were concerned why because now those who had died in christ 
They're like, oh no, what happened to them? What's going to go on with them? They missed that and they missed the, the resurrection that went along with the rapture, chapter 4. Now we got problems. And so this is a church that is in the grips of fear. They are fearful about um, the future. Now don't miss this, okay? I, I love this book. I've come to love it during our study before this truth. Here was a church in the grips of fear. Now can I just tell you, can I just encourage you, your God is not a God of fear. He is not a God of confusion. He is not a God of chaos. Our God is not looking at you and I as I, boy, I hope, I mean, if that church doesn't know what's going on, that's okay. I hope they're worried about what's coming next. That's not our God. Our God has given us exactly what we need to know. And my friend, he has revealed it in the scriptures. So there is no need for us to fear. There's no need for us to fear. And so in that day, the beginning church, Paul is used of God to, to write to this church and say, wait, guys, settle down. There's no need to be fear, uh, fearful. No need to have a spirit of fear. Let me explain what's going on. And so he explained in chapter 4 how the rapture is going to happen, how the resurrection is a great part of that, that gathering together. And then he goes on here in this chapter. Now, if you look at this chapter, he starts to make a delineation, a differentiation between some things. The first is he talks about that you and I are children of light. We are those of the light. And uh, specifically children of the light, verse number 5, I believe, states it there. And then those who are of the darkness. Now, that's an interesting compar comparison, correlation. Light and darkness, because he's talking about it in context. Don't miss it, verse number 2 of the day of the lord but there's also another comparison he's also making a comparison between wrath which he mentions in this passage in chapter five and also salvation from that wrath okay so now we have contextually the day of the lord chapter four he dealt with the rapture the resurrection what's going to happen he jumps into chapter five and he starts talking about the day of the lord in context of what follows the rapture and he begins talking about there's light and there's darkness and there is wrath and there's salvation from wrath now listen this is not something that paul came up with just of his own you realize there's a multitude of Old Testament prophets that spoke of the day of the Lord as being a day of darkness. Describing the tribulation, describing the 70th week as that is going to be a time of darkness. Okay? Now, let me share a few of those with you. Now, back up a second. Let me ask you this. What do you know about Paul? What do you know about the education of Paul? Well, Paul, we'd have to say, was a learned man. He was scholarly. He, he would have known all the Old Testament prophets. He would have studied them in, inside and out. Uh, being a, a student of different men that are well-known and in that day, probably being on the fast track to being a high priest, he would have known the Scriptures. He would have likely been very familiar, or at least in a part, familiar with these passages. I share with you now, Joel chapter 1, and verse, or chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Notice what he says. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Likewise, Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. 
The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day, note it, is a day of wrath. We'll talk about that in a moment. A day of trouble and distress. A day of waste, uh, wasteness and uh, desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Notice this passage we read in Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. What end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion. I love this description. Isn't this wonderful? You talk about a bad day. Here's a bad day, amen? As if a man did flee from a lion, got away from him, and a bear met him. Uh Uh-oh. And a bear met him, okay? Notice. Or he went into a house, he leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. We'd call that Murphy's Law, amen? Some of us older. Okay, we say, hey, that's a terrible day. That's a bad day. Boy, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in him. You realize what he's saying? He's saying, who, who in the world is asking to go through the day of the Lord? Who wants to face this? It is as if you're chased by a lion, find a bear, you go in a house, you lean on a serpent, bite you, yada, yada. It's, a te- it's nothing to be wished for. It's a terrible existence. And then he describes it as what? It's darkness. It's not light. The same thing that Paul is making distinction in in chapter number 5 there in 1 Thessalonians. Furthermore, what do we say? Well, Paul is also saying not just darkness and light, even as these Old Testament prophets describe the day of the Lord, he's also saying that day of the Lord, it's gonna, there's a difference between wrath and the salvation of wrath. Now, I find it quite interesting, and we have not spent a whole lot of time in Revelation, but we will as we talk about the tribulation. And it it describes multiplicity of times the day of the Lord, the tribulation, as a day of wrath, a day of God's wrath. In fact, I won't share all the references for you. I put up a couple here. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17 says this, For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Revelation chapter 11 verse 18 says a similar thing. These all reference the wrath. Revelation 14 10 says this, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. We go on many other passages. Revelation 14 19, Revelation 15 1, 15 7, Revelation 16 1 says this, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, likewise says something about the wrath of God. All describing the coming tribulation, and there's many more. Do you understand what's happening here? In the passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, Paul has now transitioned to the day of the Lord. He's talking about the difference between light and darkness. And he's talking about how that's going to be a day of darkness and so forth. And we don't have to fear it because we're not going to be in it, is what he's saying. And then he says there's wrath and those who are saved from wrath. And then we come to verse number 9. Look at verse number 9 again, if you will. We read it a moment ago. He says this, For God hath not appointed you to that wrath. You are children of light. You're not children of darkness. You're not part of that darkness. So God has not appointed you to wrath. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And I like that. Okay? I, I like the reality of um, the, the, the passage and the verse and what it means for you and I. If we were to put it another way, it would be simply this. Verse number 9 is teaching us that as children of light, our expectation and our appointment is not to wrath and darkness. That will hit this earth in the time of trial, the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel but rather we are appointed to salvation, and that in turn is to be our expectation. 
That's the, the, the push where he gets to in verse number nine. Listen, this is, we're not appointed on that. Don't worry about that day of the Lord. It will come. It will come like a thief in the night. People aren't going to be expecting it and so forth. And it's going to come on them. They're going to think peace, 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 because the Antichrist has promised all this. And it's coming. It's going to hit them hard. But don't worry. God has not appointed you unto wrath. And I like that word appointed. You don't have an appointment with it. Okay, you don't have an appointment. This is not appointed under you. This is not for you. Okay, uh, Erica will sometimes say, "Okay, uh, we have a dentist appointment scheduled." You know what my kids are? I hope it's not me. Amen. I hope that's not my appointment. That's me too. I hope it's not my appointment. Right? And uh, no, the appointment's not for you. It's for so and so. Right? That's literally what the verse says. You're not appointed with that. You don't have an appointment with this. You're not going to face that. And I like uh, what it presents also that the method of our, what's the method of our escape or our salvation from it going to be? Look at verse 10. Notice what he says. He says this, who died, speaking of Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake, we wake, or we sleep, we should live together with him. Now let me ask you, doesn't that sound like a better alternative? If I asked the little children here, would you rather go to the dentist or Chuck E. Cheese? What do you think they choose? Well, if I asked some of you older folks, where would you rather go to, the doctor or out to eat? Amen. The ice cream shop, you name it, whatever your favorite place is. Hey, listen, this is, hey, he's saying, let, verse number nine, you're not appointed unto wrath. That's, that's not what you get. You're not children of darkness. You're children of light. Instead, through Jesus Christ, you have obtained salvation. And what does salvation look like? And boy, this says, I love this, this verse, because you know what? Sometimes we, we, we say, and certainly salvation is gaining heaven and losing hell, as you hear me say, but what makes heaven heaven? Jesus Christ is there. And it's the presence of Jesus Christ. And that is what this passage promises. Whether we are awake, whether we're living, or whether we sleep, we are dead in Christ. Listen, we're not going through the wrath. We're going to be with him together. I love the promise of the passage in Johnson, or excuse me, Paul telling the church here, you don't have to worry about that. Context, day of the Lord. We certainly can apply it to hell in the future, but this is contextually talking about the day of the Lord and the reality that we're not going to have to face this. I like the, the promise, the alternative, the anticipation of that salvation, what it looks like, that we should live together with him. See, the reality of this salvation being the pre-trib rapture spoken of here is the only explanation contextually that makes sense. Paul was comforting the church with the promise that God had not appointed his church to endure the tribulation, but rather be saved from it. Let's quickly look at one passage, just a simple statement. It's also found here in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1, if you will. There's many. I think the, probably the greatest difficulty of this series is to boil down what we could spend years and years on, I think, in looking at passages and proof passages. And so we tried to do that. We'll do that the next couple of weeks. But let's look at this last one, and we'll be done for tonight. First Thessalonians chapter number 1 and verses 9 and 10. Read with me verse number 9. Notice what it says. For they themselves show us unto us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, it's a simple statement, but it cannot be ignored, especially when it occurs in this book or this letter of First Thessalonians. Okay? 
We've just understood that even Paul himself alludes to the tribulation being a great day of wrath, right? He, he, he describes that, chapter 5, we just saw that, the end of the same letter. A day of wrath, it's, um, it, it's uh, his wrath particularly, okay? There's no argument about that. And so Paul now is beginning the letter, he's commending them. He's saying, listen, I've heard some good things about you. I've heard that since I've been there, or entering into you, boy, things have happened, things have gone well, um, and He's about to spend a lot of time addressing Christ's return, both in the rapture and then as we see the day of the Lord a little bit there, okay? Like a good preacher, you know what he does? He already gets to his subject in the introduction, amen? He's already started talking about what he's going to talk about later here in the introduction. He kind of slips it in at the end of this chapter before the segue into uh, what the translators thought would be a good chapter break. He kind of slips it in there. He states that as we have heard from your salvation, the fruit is evident in your life. He says, you know what? We've also seen another fruit of your salvation. In fact, it is a fruit of your learning. It is a consequence of you learning the truth of God's word. You say, what is that? Well, they're anticipating something. And what is it that they're anticipating? Notice that he does not say. You're anticipating the wrath and the trial that's going to befall this earth and the world and all that dwell in. That's not what he says. And if that was what was coming next, um, if he says, if we're to say that that was their anticipation, uh, um, then that would make sense. But that's not what's coming next. He would say, you're anticipating this happening. That's not what they're anticipating. Okay? Notice what it says uh, there in verse number 10 particularly. And to wait. Anticipation. You're waiting. You're, you're waiting patiently. You're anticipating something happening. And that's his son, the son of God, to come from heaven. So if the rapture were to come after the tribulation, then that would be what they would be anticipating would be, again, the trial, the wrath to come. But that's not what he said. Notice it if he could put it this way. He, their first and primary anticipation is that they are waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. And he, as he alludes to in chapter 5, is what? He is the deliverer from the wrath to come. Notice it, it says it even here, right? Even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Hmm. Now, as we think about that in terms, the only other way that this truth could be revealed. Now, here's a, here's a great point, okay? I like this truth. Uh, the only other way for this truth to be true would be for Jesus Christ to be revealed as the Son of God, the Messiah, before the wrath uh, that happens within the 70th week falls upon the earth. But then that would be in contradiction to the whole of Revelation because we know that Jesus Christ is revealed to the world as the Son of God, the Messiah, not at the rapture, not before the tribulation, but that happens at the end. After the world has gone through the tribulation, Jesus Christ then comes on the scene for all the world to see. He touches down on here on earth, and everyone understands who he is. We read a little bit of that passage there at the end of Revelation that talks about he's coming, and he has written on him, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And everybody realizes he is revealed at that point as such, not before the tribulation. Hence, the passage is speaking for you and I in a clear point that, boy, Jesus Christ is returning for us. And so we could say very quickly, the concluding um, uh, teaching or thought of these two verses is simply this. God has not appointed his church to face and endure the wrath to come, but rather to enjoy salvation found in being together with Christ when the time of wrath befalls the earth. Remember, as he writes chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, word has gotten back to Paul that... 
This church is in turmoil. This church is full of fear. This church is worried. Hey, Paul, you've got to go there. They, they are a hurting church. They're, they, they're, they've gotten some things confused. Someone has spread some lies about the rapture already taking place. And so Paul's writing this, this church. And can you imagine as they grab this letter, they begin to read, and, and they're just looking for, okay, uh, you know, so there'd be some like us. We want to skip to the good part of a book, amen? We want to find out what he's doing. And somebody's like, what, what, what's he going to say? And even here in the introduction, he writes to them, what? How you turn to God from idols? To serve the living and true God. And my friends, you wait. You wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Because part of their fear was this we're going to go through the tribulation, we're going to go through the wrath that is to come. And Paul's going to step out in this chapter, in this book, and he's going to say, No, here, let me tell you what God has in store. Here's his plan for you, his church. And here he begins to tell them, Say, Hey, just rest. Rest in the truth of God's Word. And I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful that we can rest in the truth of God's Word tonight. That though the, the, boy, the tribulation, it does seem like we're on the cusp of it. We're on the threshold of bad things happening in this world. Oh, man, I'm just so thankful that I ain't have to meet the Antichrist. Amen? I'm just thankful that you and I can look down from heaven and see everything that's going on and be thankful for Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath to come. Join me.